Welcome to the Proclaim Columbus podcast. We are on a mission to equip people throughout the diocese to be missionary disciples. I'm Michelle Fanley, and today we're doing a special crossover episode with Liz Christie of the Proclaim Columbus podcast. Proclaim is a missionary movement to help others respond to the invitation of the Holy Spirit and live out a radical missionary identity. Liz is the Associate Director of Missionary Disciple Formation for the Diocese of Columbus. And since we're going to be discussing the very exciting upcoming year of the parish during the Eucharistic Revival, she's joining us here today. Welcome, Liz. Hi, Michelle. Thanks for having me back. You're welcome. I think I said missionary like 12 times it's okay. there. It's a lot. It's a lot of words. We need to work on that title. <laughs> but a great gift to have you in the studio with us because so many things are going on in the church and in our diocese that we are really pumped about. So we have a fabulous guest again today. We do. We're so excited. And so today we'll be bringing in Tim Glemkowski, the executive director of the National Eucharistic Congress. Most recently, Tim was the director of strategy for the Archbishop's Office for the Archdiocese of Denver, assisting with initiatives focusing on building for a time of apostolic mission. He's the former founder and president of La Alto Catholic Institute on Revived Parishes. Tim authored Made for Mission, Renewing Your Parish Culture. He is an international speaker, and he and his wife, Maggie, live in Lakewood, Colorado with their four young children. Well, welcome, Tim. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It's good to be with you. I am so excited because I am a huge fangirl of your book. I've been buying it in bulk and giving it to everybody I know. (laughs) Oh, wow. That's very kind of you to say. Yeah, thank you. I think I noticed that. (laughs) You got a little bump in sales, right? (laughs) What is going on in Columbus, Ohio? (laughs) Yes. Awesome. Well, Liz was just telling me before the show, she saw some exciting things on social media about your trips recently. Yeah, Tim, it sounds like you've uh, you've been over to Rome and had some excitement over there. Yeah, we just got back. Yeah, so a little bit jet lag still, but we're, we're coming out of it. We, we had a chance. It was kind of amazing, a, a huge gift to um, meet the Holy Father um, last week. And so uh, my wife was able to come with me, and then we just had our fourth. As you, you mentioned, our little one, Veronica, was is a month old. And so we went with a delegation from the National Eucharistic Congress and Revival, some friends kind of of the work, and um, just had kind of an a incredible private audience with, with Pope Francis where he talked about his heart for this Eucharistic Revival, which was kind of crazy. You work on this project, and then the Pope is like talking about it and saying, you know, this is, this is good. And um, it was really like an incredible gift. He talked about the Congress and what a significant moment it's going to be in the life of the Church of the United States. He talked about the need to kind of come back to that first love and encounter uh, in the silence of our hearts with Jesus and the Eucharist and adoration. He talked about how uh, the Eucharist, once it transforms us, it sends us out on mission and evangelization, and also um, kind of the works of charity in the world. And so, yeah, it was a remarkable kind of week, and we're all filled up, and it was really good. That's so great. What a way to kind of kick off this parish year, you know, and to get people ready for the Congress next year. Um, and I did see a, an, an image, I think he was blessing the monstrance that will be used at the Congress. Yeah, that was, we brought, we ended up bringing, we thought that'd be beautiful to kind of like really have the, the Pope kind of bless this moment in a unique way. So yeah, we have a four and a half foot monstrance, which holds about a 10 inch, 11 inch host, because um, it's going to be in a stadium, right? So we want people to be able to see uh, Jesus. And so uh, we, we brought that with us. So Father Craig Varasic from the USCCB carried it through the Apostolic Palace to the Pope. He blessed it, and then the patent chalice that's going to be used in the closing liturgy as well, too, which he offered to have a, a papal delegate at. So, yeah, I think you're, you're right. It's kind of a um, 
spiritually appropriate moment kind of at this kickoff. We, we've really said all along the parish year is sort of a central year, like the, the most important year in some ways, ending in this uh, Congress and pilgrimage, but, but really that, that mission to um, reach the parishes and invite Catholics into a renewed, rekindled relationship with Jesus and the Eucharist. So for this encounter to happen in that timing felt, there's been so many moments um, with this project that have felt that way, like, all right, the Lord really wants this and is really doing something kind of different and unique and um, powerful through it. And and this was, you know, one of the most significant for sure, and, and another one, uh, no doubt. That is amazing and beautiful. What a gift, all of this. So first, thank you for, for doing this. I mean, I know we in Columbus, Ohio, are super excited about this year of the parish and the upcoming Congress next year, and I'm delighted that you would take a few moments to, to chat with us. So would you mind, though, telling, backing things up a little bit, because a lot of people probably don't aren't familiar with your work. Could you just share a little bit um, about yourself and your faith journey? Yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. So from Chicago originally, grew up a pretty Catholic family and uh, sort of fell away from the faith of rebellious youth that I was transformed at a Steubenville Youth Conference. I encountered Jesus and the Eucharist and adoration, and it sort of changed everything. And it really, um, you know, kind of uh, that, that personal encounter really led to following the Lord more closely. I went to Franciscan University of Steubenville and really felt the call to mission. Um, and so I changed my major uh, philosophy and theology and really felt this call. And so I, I think my heart all along has been kind of on sort of the renewal of the Church. Like, how do we really carry out John Paul's project of the new evangelization, and really even more broadly, like in this kind of movement from an apostolic, from a Christendom era to an apostolic era for the Church, or a change of eras, Pope Francis calls it. I, I really see the Second Vatican Council, the last six popes, like everything that we've been doing as a Church is about this question of how do we as a church, you know, kind of learn once again that muscle of, of kind of operating in a in a non-Christendom context and proclaim Jesus Christ still as the answer to every question along the human heart, right, in the midst of um, the church he founded to extend that relationship to us. So um, that led me a few different places, taught high school theology, some parish work. I worked in, um, you know, kind of media, Catholic media for a year, and I was in seminary for a year, and then... Um, really had started this apostolate with some friends to just really be a local agent for renewal in the Chicagoland area. I was working at my home parish, and, and that was called Law of the Catholic Institute, and it was really focused on that question of parishes, dioceses, how do they move to mission? And so I was asked to write a book uh, from, by our Sunday visitors, sort of about our work, and that's the one you're, you're talking about, so grateful for your kind words, Don. And um, our work had really slowed down during COVID, and so I'd gone to work for Archbishop Aquila here in the Archdiocese of Denver, he had read that book and kind of invited me to be his director of strategy. So kind of thinking about those questions at a diocesan-wide level and sort of at the level of a big archdiocese, how do you move to mission and kind of set things up for a time of apostolic mission? And um, so all around that question was I, I was invited to be a consultant to the USDCB's Committee on Evangelization Catechesis, right as this new chairman, Bishop Cousins, was coming on board and they were just kind of beginning to launch this Eucharistic Revival Project, which had been actually kind of imagined by Bishop Robert Barron when he was the chairman of that committee. And so I just got lit on fire for this work. There was a beauty to the simplicity of this clarion call to, how's the Church going to be renewed? Well, in a time of incredible division and scandal and, uh, you know, all these different things, like, it's going to be about just inviting people back to that relationship. Um, and, and, and there's a power in that message, I think, of just saying, God is our hope here, <laughs> you know, like this, we don't have to be afraid, we don't have to lose hope, because we see numbers that represent decline. The gospel is not irrelevant, and the human heart is so wired 
for eternity, and we have something incredible as a church to offer. And the way that the Lord wants to send us on mission to invite people back uh, to find the answer to every question longing of their hearts is is by first being renewed themselves in their own heart, and the church being restored in her own heart, healed, informed, unified, converted, and sent um, through an encounter with Jesus in the Eucharist. So I got all lit up for this mission, and this is a, this is our full-time work now um, with the National Eucharistic Congress. That's amazing. I, just your journey from where you started to where you're at now and, and the things along the way, and I'm sure there's more to the story that you could tell in a much longer version, but... Um, Let's talk about the Congress a little bit. What should we expect? Um, if you want to tell our listeners, when is it and and all of those fun things? Yeah, so um, the, the 10th National Eucharistic Congress, so part of the interesting story of this is, um, so the Eucharistic Revival is a movement, right? It's Every bishop is leading this in his diocese. I know Bishop Fernandez, so I'm doing some stuff on uh, mm-hmm. Corpus Christi. Like, this is uh, a dispersed grassroots, every pastor, every parish discerning, kind of, you know, we have, we've articulated these pillars, principles to say to people, like, if you want to kind of think your way through this, like, these are some things that have been on our heart that we've kind of heard from the Lord, are critical to this movement, but it's really about how do you incarnate that in a local community and parish and family and uh, in your own life. And so the first year was all about that, that invitation back to just leaders to say, hey, this is happening, here's what it is, and you know, come back in a, in a new way to that relationship yourself, this parish year culminates in the 10th National Eucharistic Congress. So we used to do these as a church. A, a Eucharistic Congress is just a gathering of the faithful around the source and summit of our faith, right? So you could think of, you know, just like a big kind of, uh, an example would be like a, a you know, big Steubenville conference or a, a seat conference. Like, we used to do these in the church, but they were massive, hundreds of thousands of people in the 20s, 30s, 40s, um, and we've had two international Eucharistic Congresses in the United States for, like, the whole world's Eucharistic Congress, which happens every four years with here. One was in 1926 in Chicago, and then one was in 1976 for the Bicentennial in Philadelphia. And both of those were million-person events. The Chicago one, they built a train from downtown Chicago to get 25 miles north to Mundelein Seminary so for the final Mass, and they had a million people at that Mass. So these are, like, a part of our story as a church in the United States is that we have these unique displays, and there's countries around the world. Italy still has a, a National Eucharistic Congress every four years, but we really lost sight of ours. So to me, the, the beauty of the National Eucharistic Congress is it's sort of like the family meeting for the whole church. Uh, not a meeting in the sense of, like, we're, you know, we're going to be voting on things, or, but it's like we're all coming together to just say um, we want to lift up, again, Jesus and the Eucharist as, as the answer um, to all the problems we're encountering. And so it's going to be yeah, speakers and music and masses, liturgies, a big Eucharistic procession, um, you know, chances for there's a family track and a youth track, there's sort of an encounter track, and then more of like a missionary discipleship track. So, so really like a gathering of the whole church together. What we're, we're really saying to people, so this is July 17th through 21st, 2024 in Indianapolis, happening at Lucas Oil Stadium there, the NFL stadium where the Colts play. And what we're really articulating is like in particular to pastors, like, this is an event for every parish, every school. Like, this is an event for the local church. It's not just about, um, like, Jesus is inviting us to gather together to be filled up for the sake of mission. So it's kind of discerning, all right, like, who do you want on mission with you? Could be your three, you know, your, your leadership teams or the small group of people. Could be a, a bigger group of people, your 72, those missionary disciples who you kind of want to send out on mission. But that's who we're really inviting pastors to discern, bringing with them, Indianapolis, because I think this is kind of the, the next great renewal, revival moment 
um, for the Catholic Church in the United States. The movement of the Eucharistic revival, we think, needs kind of this unified moment that the work is directed to and then directed from, where we send everyone back out on mission. So we're really, as you can tell, probably excited about it. It is super amazing. We are so looking forward to the event. So tell us, if you've got a family, what do you think about bringing your family? Mike, my, my oldest is going to be 20 next year, my youngest 10. I have four kids. Do I bring them along? I think so. There's a youth track for kind of that, you know, rising freshman to outgoing seniors. Um, a lot of the programming is being developed by actually the, the Franciscan University of Steubenville Conference Office. So they really know how to reach teens. And so your teens kind of can have a great experience there at the youth, tr- youth track. And then others could could join sort of just the general track. Right? The 20-year-old's probably ready for a lot of the formation and, and moments of encounter that would be ready in these kind of morning tracks. And then every night together, everyone who's there at the event, all 75,000 people are going to gather in Lucas Oil Stadium for, like, the same experience. And to me, like, there's just an image of an entire football stadium of people sort of kneeling in silence and adoration uh, that is really powerful. Like, I think this is sort of historically incredible, the 10th National Eucharistic Congress we've ever had in our country's history, but also um, like sort of monumental in the sense of this will be one of those moments. On our board is Bishop Kevin Rhodes from the Diocese of Fort Wayne, South Bend, and he really like started to receive his vocation at the 1976 Eucharistic Congress. Yeah, I think certainly, you know, parish delegations, school delegations, but, but families too will find um, a lot of gift here. We know it's hard sometimes for families to get to a big five-day event. We have tried to make it as affordable as possible, and we're still pushing into those kind of questions. But, um, yeah, certainly um, families are – it's not necessarily just an event an event just for families, but families are welcome and will find a lot um, that is powerful and impactful about the event. To have that experience, that's actually one of the things I'm, like, personally most excited about is, like, my daughter, Eva, who's eight years old, being there with me and us having this experience of encounter with Jesus together. Like, I, I went to youth conferences, and that's where I had my encounter moment when I was a teen. The, the chance to have the whole family kind of do that, yeah, I'm, I'm personally very excited about that. That is very exciting. And, you know, too, with, with media and everything we have now, this Congress will be shared with so much more than the 75,000 that even show up, right? For sure. Yeah, so we're going to have uh, sort of uh, digital you know, um, ways to engage, like a, like a kind of a digital individual path. It'll be like a really curated retreat experience. And then kind of opportunities even for parishes to host satellite events. Like let's say they're in California and it's hard to get a delegation there or something like that. They could host or, or they can only bring a few people, right? And they want a lot of people in their parish to tune in. We're going to have ways that they can do that and then actually have their own, you know, kind of turn to their own experience then of adoration or prayer. Um, so yeah, for sure. E, you know, EWTN is our kind of our media partner, and they're really helping us to, to blast some of the plenary sessions across the country. So we, we really do think that this is going to be the kind of thing, between the pilgrimage, the walking pilgrimages, and then the Congress itself, we're, going to, we're kind of we're going to be probably talking in the millions of people who will encounter this moment as a church. Yeah, actually, let's talk about that walking pilgrimage for a minute. I mean, that's pretty exciting. Um, so it's is it four different pilgrimages across the country? Yeah, and I think it's, it's coming through Columbus, right? It if is, I, If I'm yes. not mistaken. We're super excited. We're just kind of sure. getting our plans together for that. Praise God. Yeah, so this is kind of a, an inspiration of um, a few key priests and um, some of the listening sessions that had kind of kicked off the revival. So that's actually how um, the revival started, was just tons of listening sessions. People worked in all different types of ministry and, and religious and lay people and families. It's like 
if we do something like this as bishops, this is what the bishops kind of said, like, what what would we do? Should we do? You know, is this needed even was like one of the questions. And resoundingly, the answer came back yes. And so one of the ideas that came from that was a an intercessory action and an, and an act of going out to the whole country with Jesus, you know, with an opportunity to encounter him personally. So that turned into this kind of, yeah, north, south, east, and west cruciform uh, kind of act of, of um, pilgrimage, procession with Jesus across the country um, in adoration. So young adult groups of pilgrims will be like perpetual pilgrims joining the whole way. And then really parishes can join, um, you know, kind of, it, can, it can kind of grow and swell as, as it reaches local communities. So we just did sort of a, a mini version of this eight days from Fort Wayne to South Bend um, as like sort of like a, you know, um, a validation of some of the ideas, but also like an, an act of prayer that the diocese wanted as it kicked off the parish year. And it was, like, beautiful, the stories that came out of, yeah, chance encounters with people. And there was a great story, even in, there was an evangelical church that was, like, as the pilgrimage came through, they were cheering them on, and they were holding up signs that said, like, my flesh for the life of the world, and all this, like, this beautiful moment of even Christian unity, that explicitly Catholic idea, doctrine, sacrament, right? And so, um, yeah, we think that's going to be a really powerful thing. Yeah, praise God. And just for our listeners, I think our dates, uh, we're expecting the pilgrimage to come through Columbus next year, June 28th through June 30th of 2024. So we'll have more details as that gets closer. But uh, yeah, it's going to be exciting. Yeah, really. Yeah, that's gonna be beautiful. And I know we've been working with each local diocese to sort of say, what does this look like here? You know, that's what our team at Modern Catholic Pilgrim, who is sort of organizing that work for us, have been doing. So I'm sure they've got your diocese is awesome, and your diocesan staff is amazing. So I'm sure they've got some pretty good plans cooking up. I yeah. think Liz is in charge of it. So <laughs> I'm, I'm, we're working on it. We're working on it. Thank you for I help, just, I just called Liz. What's going on, Liz? <laughs> I've got some good people helping me out. So we're all it's all good. Well, people need to think start thinking about this now, though, because I did hear the revival. Um, the Congress tickets are selling quickly, aren't they? Yeah, twenty five thousand passes have been sold already. So. Um, praise God, you know, we're a third of the way to kind of the, the goal of, of filling the stadium. And so, yeah, certainly there would, there would be time now to start talking to your pastor to say, can we get a delegation from here or kind of registering your family? And um, that, that's all timely, no doubt. But I know people like to wait for the last minute. Our, con- our conference, our women's conference, always the week before a thousand people register. So I think I've registered the night before. Don't don't shoot me. So, oh do so not bad. wait until the week before the, and decide you want to go. Start thinking about it now. Put it on your calendar and start thinking about this amazing event going to be happening here in Indianapolis, just two and a half hours away from us. So um, Yeah, that's our hope is a lot of these like dioceses that are close, like Columbus or you know, others is, is it is a little bit more accessible and that there would be really significant representation from the local church. Yeah, we, that's, I mean, that is probably the urgency is that with, with a, even with a, something as big as an NFL stadium, you still can't fit everyone. So, it, and the thought of everyone registering the week before does make my blood pressure go up a little <laughs> bit. But um, yeah, probably good to get in there. Don't wait. It will, it will sell out. 
Well, you are listening to Inspired by Faith, the program of the Columbus Catholic Women's Conference. I'm Michelle Fanley, and I'm in the studio today with Liz Christie of the Proclaim Columbus podcast in a special crossover episode. And today we're talking with Tim Glomkowski about the Eucharistic Revival and the National Eucharistic Congress. So, Tim, another exciting thing we have coming up in uh, November, November 11th, is our Evangelization Leadership Summit, and we have you coming in as one of our keynote speakers. So we are super excited, especially in this parish year, to just have you with us. Um, and you're going to tell us a little bit more and, and, and talk to our parishes. But, um, but yeah, we can't wait to see you in November. Can't wait. Yeah, it's a, it, even I'm going to trust the providence of the Lord and having it during the parish year. I was supposed to come last year, and I got COVID. I know. Uh, the day before, <laughs> and so I wasn't able to make it. So I'm, like, thrilled that it, it worked out this time. Yeah, I think the Lord had a plan that, you know, we, we were just a year ahead of ourselves, maybe. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, looking forward to it. And I think moving forward, right, the following year is the year of mission, and you've obviously written a lot about that in your Made for a Mission book. So how do you see this follow, you know, the follow-up after this Congress with, with missionary discipleship, and, you know, how are you leading us in that direction? Yeah, I really think, um, you know, God's plan for, for, like, the renewal of the world and the Church is pretty simple. Like, it's, 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 it's always the same thing. Like, we don't we complicate it, right? Like it's it's baptized people, uh, religious priests, laymen and women, families living out holiness and mission in the way that the like the Lord is leading them to. But like that takes a full act of surrender of our lives. Like the story you mentioned at the beginning, it's the twists and turns even of our own journey. So much of that was about like there was just a, a moment I felt like in life where the decision to kind of hand over my plan and, and, and what life just kind of happened. And like, that's been the, the magic of it, the adventure of life ever since and hard, right. And, and all kinds of different things, but that's, you know, that's discipleship. And so really, I think that's, that's what we need to see more in the church. So we've been talking for a long time about this concept of Eucharistic missionaries, which just kind of means people who get that, that like flowing from a relationship of mutual surrender, mutual self gift, right. In the Eucharist, it, it, it leads us on mission. So we really see our work at the National Eucharistic Congress is sort of just organizing people who are about that mission, sort of agnostic of any other affiliation. They could be Knights of Columbus or involved in Focus, or they could be, uh, you know, they love parish notes, but just people who, who want to live that mission. And so really our, our focus is on just connecting with those people and continuing to kind of mobilize them um, for the sake of the Church. So, so what happens at the Congress, right, is, is a, a transfiguring moment, right, a moment of our eyes are open at the breaking of the bread, right? Like we made a story, and the Holy Spirit falls and sends us out on mission. And then, we, yeah, we have some more concrete thoughts that we're um, going to kind of share with what that looks like and what that vision is. But that's the orientation of this whole thing, is like God's plan for the renewal of the world is you and I. Like, we're it. There's no plan. There's no, there's no other plan. You know, so like, that's scary. There's the ca- but the cavalry isn't coming. Like, we are the cavalry, you know? So like... Um, we have to sort of own that in our in humility as way. People to say um, when we look at the world that is hurting and a, and a church that is hurting in so many ways, the answer is personal holiness and personal mission, and um, that's what this Eucharistic revival is about. Not just not just sort of sharing the doctrine, but really inviting that conversion and surrender of life, which transforms the world. The saints are God's masterpieces, right? And and I think it's time for more of us to recognize that this age requires that kind of heroic Catholicism. So we're excited about that vision. 
Yeah, I think we're all, I mean, really, we're living out our own saint stories, right? And so this will just be all of this, this Eucharistic revival and everything that's going on. This will be this will be part of all of our stories. Um, so it is exciting. And it's, it's scary to the extent that you think it depends on you. But yeah, then exactly. it's very peaceful when you realize it depends on the Lord. And we get our orders there. And as long as we keep that in focus, we're going to be good. Yeah, you didn't choose me. I chose you. Yes. And if I had appointed you to bear fruit, that would last. That's what Jesus says. And, that, and that's exactly it. That's, that's the biggest lesson God's been teaching me in this work is like, um, if this was Tim's project or, or, or the bishop's project even, like what I even hear the bishop's role in it is, is prophetic. It's, it's sort of saying, hey, we're, here, we're hearing from the Lord that he's calling the church to, to a renewed encounter with Jesus in the relationship. So that's it. It's not a program. It's not a, like a check-the-boxes kind of thing. It's just it's just saying, this is what God seems to be doing in our time. And so our job is to, um, yeah, like you said, kind of like surrender to that. Remember, yeah. it's not our it's not our game. We're responding to the call. And you can see, like when you look around, you can see that the Lord has been calling for this for quite a while. I think so. And I even hear, like, there's been some crazy, like, sort of seeds of revival that I've even seen in, like, there's been a few things that haven't even in my own life recently, like with friends and family that are just real signs, like, God is on the move, and, um, like, He hasn't stopped reaching out to humans, right? Like, we're still, He just loves us so much. He, like, He's never going to abandon us. And so it doesn't matter how, like, dark it gets or how bad the world gets. It's not going to stop Him uh, from kind of, you know, I don't know, working. And so, yeah, I think our job is we, we pray and intercede, we work. There's a great John Paul II story about World Youth Day. I was just told this actually by one of his, by Cardinal Harvey, who's the prefect of the papal household. He said there was a great meeting where uh, World Youth Day 93 in Denver, right, was such a moment of renewal for the church in the United States. It really sparked the new evangelization here. And there was a, a dinner where John Paul was receiving tremendous pushback from a lot of high-ranking people sort of on this gathering. They didn't think it would work. They thought it would fail and they were telling him, you know, like, we need to really kind of shrink the vision for this, and we don't want it to be embarrassing for the Holy Father. And so he was listening. He was kind of a furrowed brow the whole time, and they thought they were kind of winning the day with him because he seemed so sympathetic. Yes, yes, many difficulties, he kept saying. All right, yeah, many difficulties, many difficulties. He was listening and nodding and, and, and responding. And so they get more and more bold, and then he kind of, at one point, uh, there's a lull in the conversation, so he stops, and he slams both hands down on the dinner table in front of him in front of him and stands up and says, well, we'll try. And then walks away from the dinner table. Right. And so that's a saint, right? He knew that God had a vision and a dream for that moment for the church across the world. And so it like his job was just faithfulness. And so I think that's the thing is I think what I sense in our church sometimes is, is we're, we're afraid to actually risk it all on God. Like we're afraid to actually bet on God to show up, and so we hedge, or we get nervous, or we don't, we don't want to step out too much in faith. We don't want to be the first. But it's you know, Mary Magdalene, right, running to the tomb, and and Peter and John running to the tomb, who get to see the, the you know the fruits of the resurrection so quickly in some ways. And so I think that's the kind of response that is required if we're really going to see revival. Is to say we're going to bet on God showing up, and if He doesn't, then we will fail. But we know He's faithful, right? Like that's. Um, there's a difference between, I think I saw this recently and I thought it was really good. There's a difference between. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Proclaim Columbus podcast. And until next time, go and proclaim God's glory.